When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape. From Cleveland.com, Doug Maurice, Ellis Williams, Scott Pasco. your numbers and film breakdown on the 8-3. and three. Cleveland Browns facing the 8-3 and three Tennessee Titans on Sunday. Let's get right to it. What do you think we're doing? We're doing the run game. Both these teams are all about the run game, baby. Chubb and Hunt, Derrick Henry for the Titans. So we're splitting it up. Scott Patsko in the second half is going to deal with what will Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt and this Browns run game be able to do against the Tennessee defense. But off the top, Ellis Williams is going to dive into what will it be like for the Browns to face Derrick Henry, who is big. He is broad shouldered. 6'9". Is that right, Ellis? I know you dove in on him. Is he 6'9"? Yeah, him and LeBron stand about eye to eye, right? Yeah. So let's... 6'9", <laughs> 350 pounds, as athletic as LeBron James, Derrick Henry. Here we go, Ellis. Dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape. All right, y'all. This is what we've been waiting for. You know, this isn't a Jaguars preview. You know, no disrespect to James Robinson. He's having a great year. But this is 8-3 and three Tennessee, 8-3 and three Cleveland Browns. And it's all about the run game, as Doug laid out. So I'm going to start with a little tale of the tape. We already shared with you that Derrick Henry is six foot nine and can do 360 windmill dunks. No, 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 I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Close though. He's six foot three, 250 pounds, runs a four five forty, and this part is true. He has a javelin for an arm. I'm telling you, he has brought back the modern day stiff arm and is today's monster. Forgive me for dating myself here, but when I think of stiff arm monsters, the only one I can come up with in my childhood is LaDainian Tomlinson. You guys probably have a few others that predate LT, but this guy, when he wields that thing, like the weapon that it is, y'all saw what he did to Josh Norman, in that Buffalo bills game. It's a meme. It's all over Twitter. And these things are real. This is how you put fear in the second level, especially in smaller defensive backs is tackling a, beast like Derrick Henry. So again, 250 pounds, runs four five speed and gets going downhill. It's the complete makeup for a, a running back and why he's arguably the best at his position. Uh, Henry leads the league in rushing. The 2019 rushing champ looks poised to repeat uh, with uh, 1,257 yards rushing. He has 127 more than second place Dalvin Cook. It's a two-man race. Again, James Robinson sits third at 890 
Um, Henry's also number one in yards per game, second in runs of 20 yards or more with eight. Nick Chubb leads him there. Second in touchdowns with 12 behind Dalvin Cook. He averages 4.9 yards per carry and is third in rushing yards over expectation, a stat I really like that I think quantifies when running backs are doing more work than they're expected or getting more yards than expected as the stat is named. Uh, in his last six games, only Pittsburgh and Chicago have kept Derrick Henry under 100 yards. And the Browns simply don't have the defensive roster or talent that either of those two units have. Now, it, look, it's football. It's any given Sunday. That doesn't mean the Browns can't lift their level of play for one game. But this is as difficult as a matchup that the Browns will face all season. The Titans average 161 yards rushing. That's first in the league. Second would be the Cleveland Browns. The Titans are third in the NFL in runs of 10 or more yards with 49. The Browns are actually first with 59. So with all that being said, simply, this is good old strength on strength matchup, a classic anything you can do, I can do better contest. You guys think we're going to see a lot of running the football this Sunday? Uh, I think they're going to come out in empty backfield. That's what I think. Hey, the Browns are known to do it. The Browns are known to do it. (laughs) The the thing that I think is interesting in in looking at some of this is – they lean on Henry so much. He leads the league in carries this season with 256. And I we know Nick Chubb was hurt for a month, but so that's 256 for Henry. Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb combined have 272 this season. And last year when Derrick Henry went nuts in the first two games of the playoffs and felt like he was a one-man offense when Tennessee beat New England and Baltimore – He averaged 32 carries and 188.5 yards per game in those two playoff games. The last three weeks since Chubb came back, Chubb and Hunt combined have averaged 32.6 carries and 187 yards. So it's basically exactly the same, except for the Browns, it's two guys. And for the Titans, it's one guy. So it's sort of like the Titans are like the Browns and that they both have sort of a two-back system, which allows them to rely on the run game a lot. It's just that in Tennessee, the two backs are Derrick Henry and Derrick Henry that they just pound. They just lean on him so much. Part of why that we think the, the Browns are good. And obviously Scott's going to get into it. I mean, if they keep each other fresh, I don't know. I don't know how Derrick Henry stays fresh, but the usage rate on that guy, it's like, they just, they just use him like he is a second person. So that's one of the more astounding things to me, Ellis, when you're breaking all this down is just the way they lean on that dude. He's yeah. so big, he's two people. That's what you're saying. <laughs> That's right. He's what well, he's 350 pounds. He's like two separate 175 pound running backs. There you think you when he takes his pads off, you see two different people hop off, like one of the trench coat type of things. No, yeah. but I'm glad you said that because it's exactly where this is headed with Derrick Henry and this Titans offense. They crescendo into December, and that's exactly what Henry's doing these past three weeks. 103 yards. Uh, two weeks ago versus Baltimore, 133 yards. And last week, again, versus the Colts, 171 yards. This is either going to average out or he's going to keep trending towards that crescendo. 27 carries um, against the Ravens, 28 against the Colts. He's a show of one-on-one. So what we want to do here today is break down three ways that the Browns can contain Derrick Henry, what needs to happen in order to contain this type of dominant runner, and then three ways that Derrick Henry simply has a day, as I'm going to put it, just has a day. So let's start with how the Browns can try and contain Derrick Henry. Again, I cannot make this or stress this enough. These things are so much easier said than done. 
I'm on a podcast talking about ways to contain Derrick Henry. I am not the defensive coordinator who's staying up all night scheming this stuff up. And by no means am I any of the players who have to down after down try and tackle this man. So let's just get that out of the way, right? Like if this stuff doesn't happen, it's not because the Browns didn't try, right? This is a this is just a tall task in general. Any of you guys want to sign up for tackling Derrick Henry? Please, please don't make us do that. No. <laughs> I don't want to tie it. No, I don't want to try to tackle him. I, I will say this real quick on Derrick Henry. I very vividly remember being at the NFL Combine the year he was coming out in the draft, and that was the year that there was all this gathering momentum around Ezekiel Elliott. Will Ezekiel Elliott be a top five pick? And he wound up being a top five pick. And obviously, I cover Ohio State, so that was what I wrote about. But I did, I wrote, I think I might have wrote, but I definitely thought at the time, like, are we sure Derrick Henry's not better than Ezekiel Elliott? And then the first couple of years in the league, I was like, no, he's like, Doug, what were you even thinking? It was stupid. He was a second round pick. Ezekiel Elliott went fourth. It's not even close. But now that we've seen what Derrick Henry can be, and obviously Ezekiel Elliott has been fantastic, but Derrick Henry's just different, man. And that's, I mean, Ellis, you said that. He's just, there's nobody quite like him at his size when he really gets rolling, which is why I, I don't want to tackle anybody. I don't want to tackle Ellis. <laughs> and Ellis is 135 dripping wet. So I really don't want to tackle Derrick Henry, but I can understand why maybe nobody would want to tackle Derrick Henry. That, that, that's exactly it. And I'm glad you brought up the the start of Henry's career because not that we're going to necessarily dive into that, but it is what the shift that has happened in Tennessee, courtesy of Mike Vrabel and Arthur Smith, was a complete buy-in and build around of Derrick Henry and what he is. He's one of one. You can't have him you know, sharing carries or splitting the load. You have to build your entire offense around him. And that's what Tennessee's doing, and that's why they're rolling. So in, in terms of containing Derrick Henry, the first thing that you hear a lot of smart football minds say is you have to stop him before he gets going. What does that necessarily mean? I'm talking tackles at or in a perfect world behind the line of scrimmage. It, it is uh, not that any of us are physics majors out here, but it's when someone of that mass builds momentum, it only becomes harder to tackle, right? Makes sense. We're no Sir Isaac Newton's over here, but that's uh, it, it's football, a limit this runner's ability to gain ahead of steam. How do you do that? Joe Woods is probably going to try one of two things, probably both throughout the entire game and likely both at the same time on given snaps. First, is good old-fashioned run blitzing. You send your linebackers, you send B.J. Goodson, Malcolm Smith, Mac Wilson on run blitzes, and you trust both their instincts, their film study, and their ability to read gaps and just go and blow stuff up. Carnage-style football, blow the thing up, take on pulling guards, take on leading fullbacks, and just hope you get to Henry before that type of steam gets going. The second option and again, I, I, I expect them to combine both of these methods uh, in, in their game plan. Uh, the Browns can try what is called a, a one-gap scheme. Uh, essentially, it, it demands that the interior defensive line, and really the four, you, you know, four men across the defensive line, but it puts extra stress on uh, Larry Ogunjobi and Sheldon Richardson to stress the interior by remaining gap sound. So if you're running a one-gap scheme, that's your gap. There's no freelancing. There's no, you know, trusting your instincts like you would a, a blitzing linebacker per se. You have a job and your job is to fill that gap wherever that gap goes. You slide with it. You continue to push up field and you hold that integrity because it takes, you have to understand that it's going to take a unit to bring Henry down, not one guy making a play. So that's where 
the first and then the nuts and bolts of game planning for Henry, essentially what I'm saying is it's, it's an all out attack. You're, you're going to have to time out your run blitzes and this is going to be a Larry Ogunjobi, Sheldon Richardson game where they have to play as sound of football as they played all season. It is going to be the toughest task and ask for the interior, the front four of the Browns this week, going up against a Tennessee offensive line that plays a lot like the Browns, despite not having the, the household names across there. They're playing with a third string left tackle, a backup left guard, yet cohesively, this unit's still getting it done. It's been extremely impressive what Tennessee's been able to do, and it's going to be a test up front. And those are the first two ways I would suggest going at Derrick Henry. Send the linebackers and keep your gap integrity up front with your D tackles. It makes sense to me that this would be like a big Sheldon Richardson game. I could see like this is we've we saw what Olivier Vernon did one of the weeks when Miles Garrett was out. It was like, hey, there's Olivier Vernon. I think Sheldon Richardson's had good games this year for sure. But like if this is a game where it's like, whoa, look at Sheldon Richardson, that would seem to make a huge difference. I don't want to step on what you have planned down the road, Ellis. So if this is coming later, stop me. But I'd like to get both you guys on the idea of how how does Miles Garrett factor into this? I mean, we know Miles Garrett is going to try to rip off Ryan Tannehill's arms. But in terms of gap integrity, in terms of trying to blow up Derrick Henry before he gets started, how influential can a, a defensive end like Garrett be in, in a game like this? Yeah, look, for, for Miles Garrett this game, it's going to be a lot of how does Tennessee attack Miles more than how does Miles affect this game. You can neutralize uh, talented run defenders by you know simply running away from them taking the action and removing them from the game at Pittsburgh if you go back and watch the Pittsburgh game they did a lot of that they ran away from Miles made him chase a, a, a backside pursuit tire him out and then in the passing game they throw quick and then negates your pass rush and it just was a dejected game for Miles Garrett and that's what I remember most from that so it I think that the counter will be important. You know, if they all of a sudden aren't afraid to run at miles, they're just going to run where they want to run. Then miles becomes a integral part of that run defense. But I would be, it would make sense for Tennessee to avoid him at first, especially if he's at a snap count that's back to his, you know, pre COVID day. But that's, again, we don't know exactly how much miles we're going to see. Scott, we talk about miles so much as a, as a pass rusher. Is he a good run defender? He's better this season. I think, uh, you know, we saw that play, I think it was against the Texans uh, near the goal line where he kind of recognized what was going on and kind of stayed in his spot and ended up making a big tackle for loss. Uh, But we've seen him be a little better. I think what Ellis talked about there about him having to, or about teams running at him, we've seen teams earlier in his career do that uh, against him. Um, So I'm I'm sure that's something that that they would consider, but man, the middle of the Browns line is, is really the softest area, I think, especially this year. You know, Richardson and Ogan Joby have not had the kind of year that the Browns were probably hoping as run defenders. Uh, certainly not as well as uh, some of the Titans interior linemen that we're going to talk about in a little bit. But, you know, running at Miles Garrett, running at the best pass rusher and kind of take him out of out of the game plan is, you know, the, the tried and true practice of, of so many teams. It wouldn't be surprising if the Titans tried that. So then, all right, so you got to rely on the defensive line, but also, good idea, try to tackle Derrick Henry with 11 players, right? Can you, can you share a tackle 11 ways on a guy who weighs 350 pounds? I think maybe you can. Hey, Doug, that's point number two here because you're exactly it. They're going to need, you know, one 11th of a tackle by, and multiply that by 11 to do this because it's cliche, it's old school football, but 11 hats to the ball 
is 100% accurate when going at a runner like Derrick Henry. And more than just the 11 hats on the football, all 11 Browns defenders must remain enthusiastic about tackling Derrick Henry. And that enthusiasm cannot burn passionately only in the first half. It's all four quarters. They must be as psyched in the fourth to keep going at Derrick Henry as they were when the game started and those pyrotechnics are going off in the pregame. They need to carry that energy into the fourth quarter. Think of it like this. And, and Doug, you teased this um, when you mentioned what the Titans do in their run game compared to what the Browns do with the combination of Nick Chubb and, and Kareem Hunt. Exactly what Chubb and Hunt do to teams in the second half, that's what Henry has been doing all by himself. So you, as a defensive coordinator, Joe Woods, Kevin Stefanski is the head coach. They know that Derrick Henry's coming in the fourth quarter, just like Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt come for teams. Now here's where the Browns and Browns fans, you'll know you're in trouble. You don't need a, a, a talking head like me to tell you this. If Derrick Henry is, has 80, 90, 100 yards rushing in the first half, you're probably not going to want to live, live bet the Browns line in that one. Last week, Derrick Henry had 140 rushing yards in the first 30 minutes and against the Colts, and, and the game was essentially over at halftime. I know the score, it was a 19-point game, and there was some stuff in the second half, but it, when you go back and watch the tape, uh, Mike Rabel made a decision right before the half, didn't punt it on fourth down, and then it went down and scored. That game was over, they, and Derrick Henry, it was three scores, first half, put them away. So knowing that the fourth quarter looms large in a game like this, I can't stress enough how important not only the cliche of 11 hats to the football, but the enthusiasm to keep tackling Derrick Henry for all 60 minutes. This is just as much as a mindset game as it is an X's and O's. How is this going to play out in the chess field of football this week? This feels like a thing that a podcast host who remembers three plays would say, and I don't know if it's borne out or not. I feel like I have moments in my head this season where BJ Goodson does not look all that enthusiastic to tackle sometimes. I think you can go back and find some things on film where a guy is kind of like finishing up a run and maybe BJ Goodson is there and could sort of help finish off the tackle and he kind of watches it a little bit. And so I have his PFF grades pull up, pulled up. He actually has decent tackling grades, but his run defense grades are terrible. So in my head, based on anecdotal game pass rewatches of occasional plays, when you say enthusiastic tackling, that makes me a little concerned about the Browns middle linebacker. Scott, is that right? Or is that unfair to BJ Goodson? No, I think that's fair because the, the issue with Goodson is he makes the tackle if he's there, but he isn't always there to make the tackle. I mean, you can probably say that about a lot of the people in the back seven of the, you know, of the defense. So it's, it's more of an issue of maybe him – I'd say he's an enthusiastic tackler. I think that's because that's the one thing he does well. That's why he keeps – that's why he's still out there with the Browns because they need people who can tackle on this defense. I mean, you've lost Harrison. You've lost Enzo Ward, two guys who've kind of shown uh, that they've done that well this season. And now, really, you're relying on B.J. Goodson. So it's really important that he gets there, like like Ellis talked about, and he's part of the group uh, because he's one of the players they know can you know actually tackle at a high rate. His tackling grade for the season is 89.7 on PFF, which is really good, but his run defense grade is 58.7. So, again, I, I don't know what numbers mean. So that's about taking angles to the ball and like being in the right spot and, and stuff like that. That's where he isn't going to do as well. And, that, and, that, and this is the type of game where they'll kill, they'll kill the Browns. Lane integrity, 
pursuit angles, not allowing a Derrick Henry cutback. Watching the uh, Titans Colts tape last week, when they run a two back power, that's with a fullback leading for Derrick Henry. Uh, Darius Leonard, one of the best linebackers in football, would go. He would fall, and this is what you're keyed in, 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 in linebacker rooms. You follow the fullback. Where the fullback goes, that's the hole. Go blow it up. Well, what Derrick Henry, the, the savant of a runner that he is, he would see where Leonard was going, where that hole was going to be, and then Leonard would over-pursue that hole, and Derrick Henry takes a cutback lane. Now, if he's doing that to Darius Leonard, you can see where the concern where B.J. Goodson lands this week. It, 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 it's, again, it is a tough, tough matchup, and the great already says exactly what Scott said, that when he's there, he's sound. He makes a tackle, he brings the lumber, he makes the hit. It's everything before that that the Browns need to make sure happen this week. That feels like one of those things, like, when I make it to the kitchen, I can make quesadillas. When I get to the stove, I can make them. It's just I only get there twice a year. So what's my grade then? It's like, well, I guess, I mean, it's he's two for 365, but they're good when he makes them. So I, I don't know. I'm not so sure how much credit you get for the, well, when you're there, you make the play. It's just getting there. <laughs> that is the issue. Okay. So then you have this, I think this is, and again, we plan Ellis has for the third thing he wants to talk about here. Can the Browns create one-on-one stalemates that interests me? What do you mean by that? Right. So it won't happen a lot in this game, assuming the Browns again, do the things I've talked about lane integrity, tackle with enthusiasm, play team defensive football and get 11 hats to the ball. But there will come critical moments in this game where a box safety, a nickel corner, potentially a, a blitzing linebacker, find Derrick Henry one-on-one in the hole, on the perimeter in a wide zone call. And in those moments, the Browns must be able to generate a stalemate. You don't need to tackle Derrick Henry backwards. Very difficult to do. But what you have to do is stand him up. You got to tackle sound create leverage, get lower, and just hold them. Stop them until the help comes. And this isn't like, you know, you're thinking about two rams battling on the side of a mountain and going at it. No, these are, these are you know, split-second things, half of a second where you just bring enough power to match Henry's momentum until the cavalry can come in, until they can help. If the Browns lose, decisively lose those one-on-one matchups, over and over again, wide zone runs, inside gap schemes, it's going to be a second-level type of day for Derrick Henry. So when you are that defender, and you never know when you're going to be that guy, but when you are that defender and you see Henry coming at you one-on-one and that javelin of a stiff arm is swinging, hold on for dear life, be sound in your tackling angles, trust your technique, and bring the hit because you know he's coming, and then the Browns' help comes with it. But ultimately, to me, that's where – that's how you stop the snowball effect, the explosive play. Because if you don't make that tackle, that four or five yard gain turns into 15, 25, 30. And Derrick Henry in the open field is just as dangerous as Nick Chubb. And so, so Scott, Carl Joseph, Kevin Johnson, Terrence Mitchell, Malcolm Smith, Mac Wilson, Sione Takitaki, the guys that are going to be in these positions out here on the wide zone that the Ellis is talking about. Confidence in them? to do what Ellis is talking about or questions? Uh, I think uh, we kind of declared that we do not have confidence in those people last week when we talked about Terrence Mitchell in the secondary and, and the fact that they're, you know, they don't have Denzel Ward, they don't have Ron uh, Harrison 
uh, two of your, your best secondary players across the board. Um, no, I don't. I think, uh, I mean, Tavier Thomas is, is, is okay, I think. But MJ Stewart, you don't want him anywhere near uh, Derrick Henry. That, that'd be a bad situation. Uh, and he's someone who I think they were really trying to see what they could get out of him in the slot last week uh, between him and Thomas. So, no, I, I don't – again, B.J. Goodson is your, is your good tackler among the linebackers. And we've talked before about how all these guys have, like, one thing they're good at and none of the other guys, Malcolm Smith, Taki Taki necessarily, although he has been better against the run. Mac Wilson definitely not uh, – have not been as good against the run or, or as tacklers as B.J. Goodson. So you're, you're hoping for what you can get. If this is the game where Taki Taki really breaks out and he comes back after missing time and and, and you know – shows that he's the run stopper that that he's kind of shown at times this season he has he can be maybe that's how you get through this but again he, he isn't playing a ton of snaps right now and, and per, perhaps this is something we talk about next week and scott i know you're always all over the the snap counts um i, I noticed mac was got the third amount of snaps uh, of the linebackers last week right bj goodson then malcolm smith and i think that's been trending that way just uh, and this is for either of you two any idea what is going on with Mac is it just a he's not playing well type of thing Malcolm Smith's the veteran BJ Goodson's the, the the middle linebacker leader it's he just can't really find his groove it seems yeah that's that seems to be the case I think they gave him all sorts of opportunities to kind of take over that spot next to Goodson because he yeah. started like three games in a row there but the, the results have not been to the point where you'd want to keep him in there I don't think so you've seen more of a rotation it would be fascinating if Taki Taki back off the COVID list again, shows up like this is his game. Like, hey, he's flying all over the field and look at that guy tackle in the run game and wrap up because Ellis, when you're talking about why Derrick Henry might go nuts, I love your phrasing arm tackles or missed tackles. So like I would love the idea of, hey, Taki Taki's in there. He has perfect form. He's wrapping up. He's being physical. That to me is a guy, when you say enthusiasm, I think that Taki Taki, I think has enthusiasm at the very least. I'm Maybe what else does he have sometimes, but maybe he'll get after that. Scott, what do you have to say about that? I was going to say, so you put Taki Taki and Goodson on the field and you have a, a linebacker and Taki Taki who's played well against the run and you got your tackler and Goodson. The problem is the Titans use play action a lot. And that means you're going to have Taki Taki on the field in coverage situations. Goodson actually has gotten a little better over the last few games of the season in that regard. But Taki Taki's not someone you want on the field despite his pick six uh, a couple weeks ago. So that, again, uh, creates a problem for the Browns that, you know, the Titans can take advantage. I think Tannehill is leading the league among regular starters in play-action dropbacks. So that's, that's something the Browns have to concern themselves with. But I guess if you said, okay, well, we put our good tackling linebackers on the field and the result was the Titans said, okay, we won't run it. We'll just throw all day. Okay, that's okay, too. I don't know. It's not like – I can imagine the Titans' offensive meeting room. Oh my God, Taki Taki's on the yeah. field. I, I, guess, I guess we can't use Derrick Henry anymore. Oh, well. But do you see, Ellis, when you say these guys, the Browns can't arm tackle, do they have a bunch of arm tacklers? Does that worry you? Like, okay, this is why Derrick Henry could co- go nuts because maybe the Browns get there, but they're not going to bring the dude down with arm tackles. Right, it, it is a concern. And I'll say this, if Browns fans are hearing us say, you know, if the premise of this is, if this is a big Sony Taki Taki game, the Browns defense will be just fine. You know, if that's, if that's where we're landing on this, that that's a tough spot to be, but I will say this. I don't think anyone saw Olivier Vernon's three sack game versus Philly coming, you know? So these, there are moments in a season where one guy can just 
just perform. One guy can just bring it. It, it happens in the NBA playoffs all the time. You know, you get you get a, a 30 point night from someone that was coming off the bench and all of a sudden you win a playoff game for it. So do I think it's likely? No, but it's Tony talking talk a guy who potentially has a big game here. It wouldn't shock me as for the rest of the, the Browns tackling unit. Yes, it is something that concerns me. And it is why I wrote arm tackles are missed tackles when it comes to a guy like Derek Henry, the stat is this simple. And I'll just throw it back to you guys and your thoughts on the Browns run defense in Jacksonville. Uh, the Colts missed six tackles on Sunday. Uh, playing Tennessee, of course, all of those coming against Derrick Henry. The Browns had eight missed tackles in Jacksonville. Now, I don't, I didn't have the time to go back and see if those were all per, in pursuit of the running back, but that is a formula for disaster. And missed tackles happen for really one of two reasons. It's poor angles and it's poor or sloppy technique, and arm tackling is the, the definition of sloppy technique. It, I, it's been a weird week, and I doubt the Browns have really had any opportunity to tackle at practice, um, but if they have, this would be the week to drill it down because if you come with those arms, Derrick Henry and those thighs are running right through them. And that again is how you short gain pops into a game altering run. When you lead with the arms, instead of, you know, chest shoulders, getting leverage and following through for the hit. Missed tackles are on your list of things, Scott, that, that the Browns are not so great at this season. (laughs) Um, I don't have the actual ranking in front of me, but I think they're a better tackling team than they were two years ago. I know I did a story about that last year. I, look, I, again, it's, it's keep people who are out this season, make this worse than, than it normally would be. You know, if you had Ronnie Harrison back there, you'd feel a little better about this based on how he's played since he's become a, a regular starter. And again, having Denzel Ward on the outside, not someone who came into the league as a ferocious tackler at the cornerback spot, but he's, again, proven that he can kind of shed some blocks this season as he made some big plays. So, um, you know, you're, you're down in your depth here, and you're asking guys who maybe haven't proven that they can excel at tackling in space to do that. I wonder, and this is just the idea of when Miles Garrett's not on the field, does everybody go nuts a little bit, right? That just like, hey, I got, you know, you got to do more. You're trying to – just this Miles presence, even though – if maybe the Titans, that's probably doesn't make sense. The Titans aren't running it. They're running away from miles. He but just the fact that miles is there, does it make a defensive player chill out a little bit because they don't feel like they've got to be Superman out there? You know, I don't know. That probably doesn't make any sense. No, I, I'm trying to figure out a way that miles Garrett's presence on the field will make the other 10 Browns tackle better. I'm trying yeah. to be hopeful here. <laughs> no, no, Doug, you're onto something. And, and we actually uh, asked uh, Kevin Johnson that yesterday, uh, during interviews and he said definitely when you see miles out there it's your it's your it's your superman it, it gives you it regenerates you it gives you new life and that is actually plays into uh, the second point i want to make about how if derrick henry has a day this happened the first again is arm tackles or missed tackles the browns are leading with their arms derrick henry's going to have a day the second one being and miles garrett helps this if the browns don't win their one-on-one blocks up front and it sort of plays off how I started this um, with having a one gap scheme, but this is the most important factor bar none. When you put on the Colts, Tennessee tape, all you see is the Colts defensive line getting absolutely manhandled up front. I'm talking three, four yards depth gain sometimes before Derrick Henry even gets the football. Now, if you're giving Derrick Henry three yards head start and you, your front four are not winning a single one-on-one block, that means that Tennessee's offensive line 
with the cohesiveness that they've been playing with, know exactly how to first secure their double team block and then work to the second level as Derrick Henry is gaining momentum. So if you're talking to set the scene, you're talking a clean lane with three yards of depth downfield for Derrick Henry to run, plus a leaking guard or tackle reaching the second level and occupying Sony Takitaki or BJ Goodson. See ya. Derrick Henry's gone. And that is where Miles Garrett can make this difference, not only in a, in a mindset type of way, but also in just the concept of winning one-on-one blocks. Get off the blocks and grab Derrick Henry in the backfield. It, it relates to the first point, but this is, like the podcast started, going to be the biggest challenge for Sheldon, Sheldon Richardson, Larry Ogunjobi, and then, of course, Miles Garrett. Win the one-on-one block, you can help contain Garrett, Derrick Henry. If the Browns are getting beat up front and – offensive linemen are able to then reach the second level it's going to be you know 150 180 possibly 200 yard day for Derrick Henry Ellis you're on record saying you think the Browns have the best offensive line in football where is the Titans offensive line sort of in relation to that how good is this Titans offensive line they're right up there you know you you put definitely top five you think of uh, Minnesota you think of Green Bay you think of New Orleans Pittsburgh Tennessee they're right there in in a top five top six and they're doing so with lesser talent, which is what I think is the most impressive part. You know, Green Bay's got some some dollars invested in their offensive line. The Saints do. Uh, the Rams do. Tennessee's doing this again with a third-string left tackle, making a second career start this Sunday, a backup left guard. Uh, you know, losing Taylor Lewan was a hiccup early, and it really, I thought, was going to swing their season and have Tennessee on the outside looking in, but all of a sudden, they've, they've found it again, and that's a testament to coaching and the education system going on in Tennessee, much like that happens in Cleveland. So it's not that these guys are necessarily big names and guys that um, are going to nece- be in Tennessee long term, but it's a, it's a type of momentum thing. It's a type of where a defense can play great for one season, and it's just this magical run. Think of the Carolina Panthers, the year Cam Newton goes to the Super Bowl or some of those Chicago Bears defenses. Sometimes it's just it's your year on the ground, regardless of who you plug in up front. And this Tennessee offensive line is every bit as talented, respected, and capable of really any offensive line in football. All right, so then the last thing is they're going to throw a screen to this 375-pound guy? That's, why that doesn't seem that you should be it? Don't, I don't think they should be allowed to do that. That's not fair. I know, right? It's like it's like you do everything right defensively in hoops. You you, you close out. You got your help side D. You're you're cutting off. You're making your the, the the offensive playmaker go left, and then he just hits a step back three on you. It's like all right, fine. What 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 can we do here? And Brown Sands, I don't even need to talk about it that much because you guys know exactly what I'm talking about in a Derrick Henry game popping, game changing, game swinging dagger type screenplay. You don't see it coming, and then all of a sudden. Derrick Henry is scooting 70, 80 yards downfield and no one's catching him. He's outrunning your corner. He's outrunning your safety and he's gone. Uh, I encourage Browns fans to check out uh, the Titans overtime game versus the Texans. I believe it was snap number three. They run a screen to Derrick Henry, the same exact screen that the Browns tried running in Pittsburgh to Kareem Hunt, but Pittsburgh completely blew it up. It's a tight end wham block and the running back leaks into the right. And if they complete the pass, Kareem Hunt, I mean, it swings the second half of the game. It was like the first or second, third quarter call for the Browns. And in that same week, the Titans ran it and it won them the game in overtime. 
which coordinator calls the same screenplay first <laughs> might be the one that strikes early because it's a play that's going to work. And Derrick Henry, as dangerous as he is, lined up deep behind Ryan Tannehill. He's equally as dangerous as a guy like Kareem Hunt in the screen game. You just always have to know where this guy is on the field. So let me ask this in conclusion of the Derrick Henry breakdown. And again, some, so many of the things that you just talked about, Ellis, are familiar to Browns fans. And, and Scott's going to talk about what the Browns do. And we're going to see, how, obviously, how much of this stuff overlaps. But one of the things we've talked about with the Browns is that sometimes it does take a while. You know, they'll have some one-yard runs, some two-yard runs, maybe early in the game. And then they start popping stuff. Is there a window here, Ellis, at all, maybe early Right. Does, is that part of the Henry deal that, that does, do they have some, okay, well, it takes a couple drives. There's some one yard runs, some two yard runs. Can the Browns do that? Maybe limit Tannehill on some third down throws, get off the field, short circuit, some early drives before this dude gets rolled in the second half. Is that part of the Titans run game? Kind of just like it is the Browns run game that maybe early on, they're not necessarily getting five yards a run. This is going to be such a momentum and mantra style of game. If Derrick Henry establishes the run early, the mindset of this Browns defense likely plummets like any defense. You have to establish and really punch the bully in the face, punch him right in the mouth. Say like, nope, we're here. You're not gaining this momentum and every yard you're going to get is going to be more difficult than the last. If this is a Derrick Henry at halftime 60 70 yard type of game and they're getting what they want it's going to be a a bruising finish if you're tackling Derrick Henry behind the line of scrimmage early and forcing Ryan Tannehill into passing situations which the Tennessee will be comfortable with but there's a big difference between play action passing and third and nine as we've talked about at nauseum here with Browns fans so yes setting the tone right out of the gate is going to really dictate this game we'll probably know halfway through the second quarter, maybe a quarter way through the second quarter, what type of Titans offense we're going to get and how the Browns defense came to play. All right. We're going to do the same thing in the second half of the podcast. It's just everywhere that Ellis said, Derek Henry, Scott Patsko is going to say Nick Chubb and Kareem hunt. Cause it just, yeah, we're going to dub it in. We're just going <laughs> to yeah. play it. I'll dub it in. It's just, it's just fascinating. I, and again, sort of what you said, Ellis, what we've all said, man, who isn't looking forward to this, right? This is a test for the Browns. They're both eight and three. This is just, this is a game I think a lot of Browns fans should look forward to. Take on the challenge. Take on the challenge and see, you're really going to find out a little bit more about this team. We'll do the Browns side of the ball, how they'll run it against Tennessee right after this on Gotta Watch the Tape. Back on Gotta Watch the Tape, time to talk about Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, the Browns run game, Scott Patsko. Dive in on, ugh, I mean, that was a lot of, that was a lot of Derrick Henry stuff. This is the part, Scott, where the Browns fans get lifted up because they because you say, well, the Browns can do it too. Dive in on got to watch the tape. Wait, this is supposed to be uplifting. <laughs> Stop. Okay. All right. Here's, here's something that's uplifting. Okay. The Browns lead the NFL in rushing yards and yards per attempt. They're actually tied with a few other teams at five yards per attempt, but that's, that's good news. Uh, Nick Chubb and Cream Hunt are the only teammates to each have more than 700 rushing yards this season which keeps them on pace to come in the sixth running back duo to each get a thousand yards this season, something we've been tracking. Oh, they're still on pace for that. The Titans of course know all this and we'll probably continue the trend of stacking the box against the Browns. According to the next gen stats, Chubb sees an eight man box 36% of the time, which is third most in the league. 
Hunt sees it 30% of the time, which is eighth. Derrick Henry, by the way, just 26.5%, which is 15th, which probably tells you a little more about what opponents think of the Titans passing game versus the Browns. Uh, but that's kind of where they stand. They're going to see a lot of people uh, in the box. So can they continue to run wild? Uh, we'll start with uh, a few reasons why this game kind of lines up for, uh, for a good matchup for, for the Browns running game. And we've talked about the first one before when talking about Chubb and Hunt, and it has to do with explosive plays. Chubb and Hunt, 24 and 26 explosive runs of 10 yards or more, respectively. That's ranked fifth and sixth among running backs. And remember, Chubb's only played in seven games this season. And he's, he's uh, I believe he led two years ago in this category. Either, either way, they're both players who have been high on this list before, and they're continuing to do it again. The Browns are first in the NFL on second level yards, which is that, that area five to 10 yards behind the, behind the line of scrimmage. And they're second in open field yards, which again is runs of 10 yards or more. So a lot of big runs. We've seen this all season from Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, even though they, you know, they'll get stopped at the line of scrimmage a few times and then boom, they're breaking it open. Or in the fourth quarter, they're finally busting big game changing plays. What this means for the Titans is that they're going to see a lot of things coming at them that they haven't been able to stop necessarily this season. The Titans are ranked 21st in limiting explosive plays this season, uh, specifically running plays. So it's something that teams have been able to do against them. The defensive line is ranked 22nd in open field yards. So again, uh, teams have been able to kind of get out and kind of bust big runs against them. Browns, by the way, are ranked fifth in that category. So that's really also talking in the first half strength on strength here, a running back who can create big plays in the defense that actually has been limiting them on the ground. So anyways, like the Jaguars last week, it seems like the Browns are kind of set up in a way to kind of bust those, those big plays um, before I get to where those plays might happen. Cause there's kind of a directional aspect to all this. I mean, do you guys go into this game thinking that Chubb and Hunt are necessarily going to have a rough time because the Titans are kind of like the epitome of a middle of the pack defense. I think I'm assuming they'll get theirs. I'm assuming, I mean, I, you know, I, I understand when maybe the Browns aren't quite the same attack against the Steelers or whatever, but to me, if they're going to be the Browns, if they're going to have this identity, you've got to go do it against a middle of the pack defense. I mean, if I don't know why they wouldn't, I don't know. Right. I mean, why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't what the Browns have done? Why wouldn't it work again on Sunday? So I'll say this. I'm starting to get just very slightly concerned about Kareem Hunt's production and all this and where he lands in the offense. And that comes down to Kevin Stefanski as a play caller. Look, 10 rushes for 62 yards last week. That's a six-yard per carry average. But, but you never really felt Kareem Hunt completely – put his stamp on that game last week. And perhaps that's just what it was in Jacksonville. Just a you know, funky game. We've talked about it nauseum. They did enough to win, yada, yada. Finding ways for Kareem Hunt to exploit this Titans defense will be one of Kevin Stefanski's most important chess moves this Sunday. I don't have the answer. I don't know what it's going to look like. But figuring out a way to find production from who's now become – your second or, you know, to be to Jarvis Landry, potentially best offensive player could be the difference here. So Scott, I, I hear you. Nick Chubb's going to get his. I, I wonder where Kareem Hunt plays out and all this and where he lands. Okay. Go say more good things, Scott. Now you're in my <laughs> head, Ellis. Now you're in my head. Ellis just going to bring you back to earth. That's all it's going to be. I'll set you up. He'll knock you down. 
the directional running. Uh, the way to get those explosive runs against uh, the Titans is to target some specific areas, and specifically that means running out wide, which we saw the Browns have uh, success with this season. Uh, against the Titans, though, the most explosive running plays have come uh, running wide left and when running wide right, specifically right tackle, or just out wide beyond that. Um, seven explosive plays of 10 yards or more have come uh, running out left against the Titans this season. And while most teams have run up the middle against them, they continue to get the, the big plays that really count are coming out wide. Teams are averaging six and a half yards per carry wide left, five and a half yards behind right tackle. So we know that the Browns like to run behind their right guard a lot and just right in general, but really getting out wide is something they should probably think about this season. And I know we've talked about Jedrick Wills maybe not having a great season uh, as a run blocker, but the Browns actually have their best production when running wide left out beyond him where he's going to have to maybe kind of set the edge a little bit. They're averaging 8.8 yards per carry, according to Sharp Football Stats. BFF has them about 7.4 yards, and they kind of track that a little differently. I think maybe uh, one might consider an offensive line that moves versus one that definitely doesn't. You know, everybody shifts to the left, but that running back still technically went where the right guard was, so they're going to count it that way. But either way, they're getting good, good gains uh, running out wide. Uh, PFF also has the Browns running at a 6.8 yard per, per carry clip behind right guard. So pretty much wide and wide is where the Browns should be thinking. They have 11 runs of 10 or more yards around both ends this season, three touchdowns to the left, four touchdowns to the right. And I'm sure you guys can remember some Chubb runs, and especially Kareem Hunt getting out wide and doing, doing some damage uh, this season. The team to gain the most yards against the Titans this season was the Vikings in week three. They had 226, Dalvin Cook, 22 carries for 181 yards. Uh, and that's notable because we know the Vikings run a similar offense to what the Browns use here, use a lot of the same formations. Dalvin Cook can do a lot of the things that Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt do in terms of uh, avoiding tackles, breaking big runs. He had three explosive runs to the left end that, that day, uh, gained 65 yards running left around left side, 75 yards right end. So that team was able to accomplish that. We're going to get into some caveats to that a little bit later, but those runs were there for them. The Titans missed nine tackles in that game. Dalvin Cook leads the league with 50 avoided tackles. And then we know Chubb and Hunt have combined for 60 themselves. So the opportunity is there. They're the same kind of runners in that respect. So the Titans are going to see similar run to, to what they saw in Cook. But two players I definitely want to mention before I, I wrap this part up. Edge rusher Harold, Harold Landry uh, is usually lined up over left tackle. Uh, he, had, he has nine missed tackles this season, which is second most on the team which kind of explains some of the success teams have had going out wide. There was a run that Vikings had Delvin cook got to the outside and Landry just was not, did not have the speed to get there. It was like a 39 yard run. Another guy that the Browns will want to know where he is, is Jack Crawford who often lines up over right tackle. Um, he has really struggled against the run. He was on the field during Delvin cooks, 39 yard touchdown run and really just got blocked right out of the play because he kind of busted through the middle. So those two guys that, that, the Browns should be thinking about. Again, we talked about before that the middle of the interior of the defense for the Titans is pretty strong, but those two guys I think are two people that you can attack and you're going to see them on the edge a little more than normal. We know Ellis is going to have something to say whenever the Vikings come up, but I got to say all the smart stuff that has been said on this podcast so far, that Minnesota comparison is the 
get out your wallet and take the Browns plus six kind of information to me that has me right back to where this makes sense to me. That seems like a very, how many times this whole season have we compared the way the Vikings go about their business and the way the Browns go about their business and the, what Minnesota can do with Dalvin Cook and what the Browns can do with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Ellis, come on, man. They couldn't stop Dalvin Cook. They're not going to stop Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. It's in the bag. There's a lot of truth there. The Vikings actually lost that game largely because Ryan Tannehill threw for 327 yards and no one could stop. Okay, we're talking about the run game. Why do you have to bring up the quarterback throwing for 327? (laughs) The Vikings secondary there looked also a lot like the Browns secondary may look this week. So I know I'm continuing to talk about the pass game, but we are focusing on the run. So I will say this, Scott's exactly right. This is gearing up towards a game where the Browns can set the tone by setting the edge. Browns fans, think of it like this. Think of that first touchdown drive, which was the Browns' second drive in Jacksonville. Kevin Stefanski called uh, four passes, all four were play action, two were bootlegs. I would have liked to see Stefanski run wide zone and actually give the handoff to Nick Chubb on those plays that ended up being boots. Just establish the edge, set the edge, get Nick Chubb flowing outside, create, start creating the cutback lanes. Because not only is that, as Scott laid out, where the Browns have been dangerous all season, it's a weak point in Tennessee's defense. And in that same week three game, Tennessee, Minnesota, the Titans were a lot healthier defense then. Javon Clowney was not on IR. John Smith, their linebacker, also not on IR. They just weren't as beat up, and the Vikings were still able to get theirs. So the edge should be there. And like a defensive line creating penetration early, if an offense can set the edge on you early, you know as a defense it's going to be a long game. So we've talked in the past, sometimes it feels like the Browns really need to rely on Baker Mayfield to make them throws on second down, like on second and eight and keep, you know, don't get caught in a third down thing. Because I think by this point, we're kind of accustomed at times the Browns are running on first down and in the first half, they're not getting a lot. Sometimes they're getting two yards per carry on first down, but Scott, is there an opportunity in this game to run the ball on first down and run it really effectively? So you're not putting Baker Mayfield in those spots. It would seem so. And like you said, we've talked a lot about first downs before, particularly when the Browns have been inconsistent. Uh, but I think that could be a positive. The Titans are giving up 4.6 yards per carry on first and 10 runs, which is 15th in the league. Again, it's kind of middle of the pack. But the good news is that the Browns actually lead the league in rushing yards on first and 10, 5.9 yards per carry. Uh, they have gotten a league high 41 first downs on first and 10 carries. And I know that those those plays where Chubb and Hunt are getting stuffed and, and <laughs> knocked back for one minus a yard, those stick out in your head. But the Browns overall have they've had success doing that. And I think if they can keep if they if they can make sure that that's a thing that happens in this game, that's going to be huge. Because like you said, you don't want to be in those situations where Baker has to bail you out on third and long. Like the Browns, though, the Titans also struggle in stopping runners on short yardage. We've talked about that before with the Browns and their inability to, you know, fourth and one and in goal line situations. The Titans are ranked 21st in power success rate, which again is is plays where you have it's either third and short, fourth and short, or those you know goal to go situations inside the five. Um, they're allowing uh, teams to have a 70% success rate this season. They're giving up at league high 3.9 yards per carry on third and one. 
that's in 20 plays. So that's a pretty decent sample size. Um, that's a 75% conversion rate on that. So if the Browns can get to those situations where they do have short yardage, they can feel a little better about handing it off to Chubb and Hunt. Um, and definitely probably Chubb in that case, because as we've said before, he's not great in short yardage, but uh, this could be a game where, where, where he has that kind of success. Um, the Titans are also ranked 19th in stuffed rate, which is actually tackles for loss or tackles at the line of scrimmage. So they're almost in the bottom third of the league and getting those tackles for no gain or for loss. So again, I think the key is, is making, keeping that trend up on first down and then getting into situations where you can use your run game against the Titans on, on, on third down because teams have had success doing that. So they're just, they're not going to come out and stuff the Browns run game. They're just not that kind of defense. They might have success at times, but, but they're not, they're just not going to do that. Chubb and right. Scott Chubb and hunt to some degree are going to get theirs on Sunday. I would expect so. And even if I'm not saying they're going to come out and you're going to, they're going to be busting five and six yard runs off the bat. You know, it could look a lot like we've seen this team look most of the season where, where it's kind of grind through it. And then you're hitting those big runs. But I think at the end of the game, you're going to look back and see that they've had the kind of game you would expect them to have. It's, they're going to get their big runs. So I'm going to say this. This is, again, going to be a huge Kevin Stefanski game and how he calls it. Scott laid it out. And listeners, this is why you, you, you download. This is why you listen. He gave you the game. First down runs, the Browns' success rate versus the Tennessee's inability to stop it, but specifically where those runs need to come. They've got to be wide zone. They've got to be outside. Avoid Jeffrey Simmons inside. Get these guys running sideline to sideline. Stefanski comes out and we see empty or we see a lot of bootleg or we see inside hitting plays. I'm going to scratch my head a little bit. I'm going to be wondering now if he's schemed up some plays for Baker to get going early, like that first touchdown drive in Jacksonville, you can't question him for that, but it is clear where Tennessee is vulnerable early runs, hit him on the outside, keep it simple. We'll see. This is going to be as much as a Kevin Stefanski play calling game as it is going to be the Browns players executing said plays. It's right in front of them for this one. So you just mentioned one of the names, Ellis, that Scott has on his list for if it doesn't go great for the Browns run game. Scott, is is Jeffrey Simmons for the Titans? Would he be at the, the point of the spear there? If, if the Browns have trouble running it, he would be why? Yeah, I, we mentioned how, like you said, going out wide is important because you have not only Jeffrey Simmons, but Daquan Jones in the middle, and that's kind of like the strength of this line. And like I said earlier, they're kind of having the season, I think, at least against the run that the Browns were hoping Richardson and, and Ogunjobi would have together, but they're actually actually doing it. Neither has been stellar in tackling, particularly not Jones, who has struggled, but they are good run stoppers. Simmons' defensive grade uh, against the run is 749 Jones is at 66.4, which is uh, right around where Richardson has been. Actually, no, it's a little higher than what Richardson has been for the Browns, and he's been a lot better than Ogan Joby. So last week, Ellis mentioned that win rate metric that ESPN has among interior linemen. Simmons is second in the league and run stop win rate, 45%. So again, he's a guy that, that you want to kind of avoid. The Titans as a team, though, are ranked seventh in run stop win rate, 31%. And here's the weird part that I had a hard time wrapping my head around the Browns, the Browns offense is 12th in run block win rate at 71%. So 71% versus 31%, which is weird because I guess you could both, 
reach those percentages and still consider it a successful game? <laughs> I, I don't know. Sometimes the analytics don't really match up and make a lot of sense, but the point is that, that the Titans are actually good at stopping the run, uh, at least the, uh, the defensive line and at the rate compared to other teams. And the Browns are actually, as we know, really good at a run blocking. Uh, the Titans, who play a 3-4, have moved Simmons around from side to side on the interior. Uh, he's kind of played more uh, as right defensive tackle, 230 snaps to 165 on left defensive tackle. What that means is you're able to kind of move your, your, your best run stopper back and forth between Batonio and Teller, who also happen to be your two best uh, interior run blockers, Joel Batonio. He is fifth among guards in that run block win rate stat. So that's a matchup to watch for, watch for obviously, as, as well as Teller. But the Browns, I'm sure, are going to be very aware of, of where he is and determining where they want to go with the ball. So the idea that, hey, the Browns should run wide, that fits what they want to do anyway, makes a lot of sense. And hey, and then if you're maybe staying a little more away from Simmons, if you're running wide, but also, right, again, this is one of those Joel Petonio and J.C. Treader and Wyatt Teller, they're good at their job. So Jeffrey Simmons is good at his job, but the Browns should be able to win those battles sometimes, right? Like this is a great test for these two Browns guards to see how they match up with a guy like Jeffrey Simmons, isn't it? Yeah, this is important because you now have – it isn't like maybe a couple of years ago where Nick Chubb was getting a lot of yards, but it was because he was avoiding a lot of contact before he got to the line of scrimmage or he, he, was, he wasn't getting a lot of yards before contact. Now it's a situation where you have an offensive line that actually is a strength and they're helping him get where he needs to go and Nick Chubb – or Kareem Hunt as well. So, again, you have Batonio and Teller to match up with the best run stoppers – as far as linemen go for the Titans. And I'm not saying that they're both going to win those matchups, but you have to like your chances a lot better than you did, uh, you know, last year or the year before. And we know, I mean, it's not like Wyatt Teller and Joel Batonio only block defensive tackles when they run wide. I mean, there goes guys are out leading away and taking on linebackers and stuff, but Ellis, right. I mean, Jeffrey Simmons is good, but that's why this Browns offensive line is here to deal with good defensive linemen, right? Yeah, it's exactly it. They're built for this. We've talked about it all year. And I'll also say this. I'll throw out a little half-baked uh, theory here that perhaps the Titans offensive line, and because Scott, you, you triggered me when you, you said that, you know, this Titans defensive line is actually better than we're realizing. And then that, that makes me go to the schedule. In these, So perhaps Tennessee is just has a little bit of an inflated win rate in terms of who they've played. Uh, the Colts, they played twice in three weeks. That's not a rushing attack anyone's afraid of. Baltimore's run game, their offensive line's beat up. They're not the same running team. Chicago's offense is abysmal. Browns fans know the Bengals have no interest in running the football. Uh, Pittsburgh's Pittsburgh, that's one game. The Texans, again, we've talked about the Texans running game on this podcast. It doesn't exist. And now we're already up to, you know, the Vikings game and whatnot. So you, you just, you go down the gamut there. Perhaps, you know, look, you got to beat who you beat on the schedule. You play who you play. But it's pretty safe to say that, Tennessee, Jeffrey Simmons, this interior line have not faced anyone like the Browns offensive line yet. All right. So then can the rest of the dudes tackle? We just went through a whole thing about like, well, uh, the Browns can't tackle anybody. Can the Titans tackle these dudes? Maybe once they get past Jeffrey Simmons, Scott. Yeah. They're, you know, the Titans I'm sure are having the same conversations that, uh, that, that the Browns are, you know, talking about getting hats on the ball and everything. The, the, the difference is the Titans have actually been really good as a tackling team. They're fourth in tackling grade for PFF. But I do want to go back to that Vikings game where Dalvin Cook went off and they had over 200 yards. 
the Titans had nine missed tackles in that game. Malcolm Butler had a couple, uh, cornerback Malcolm Butler. Jonathan Joseph had a couple in that game. And I should note that Joseph was waived in November. He's with the Cardinals now. The Titans actually traded for Desmond King, who Mm -hmm. is one of the top tackling cornerbacks in the league. He has zero missed tackles in the four games he's been with the Titans this season. He's grading at uh, 85.0 in in tackling and and leads the team in run defense. So they've upgraded since then. Uh, in, in terms in that regard and Malcolm Butler meanwhile hasn't had a missed tackle since that Vikings game so yeah they can tackle the defense is also uh, one that features Rashawn Evans who is actually leading all NFL linebackers in tackling grade this season he has 50 tackles and one miss for PFF uh, safety Kevin Byard has 59 tackles this season which is eighth among safeties so you've heard the Browns like I said talk about gang tackling Derrick Henry the thing is with Chubb and Hunt the Titans, yeah, they want to do that, but they do have some one-on-one matchups. There are players who have proven that if it comes down to having to do that one-on-one, they've shown that they can excel at that on their own. Can I bring up something now that's like one of these, like, hey, listen, the Browns are having a great year. Titans got Desmond King for a sixth-round pick at the deadline. Should the Browns have traded for Desmond King? This is one of those, this was like, I mean, you know, we were having kind of d- debates around the trade deadlines. Like, well, you don't want to give up assets or whatever. Ah, you have to tell cap and this. The Titans, who are good, got better in the middle of the season. And the Browns didn't make a trade to help the secondary. And now, again, especially with the two injuries they have, which are devastating, might be nice to have a guy like that. I don't know. It's fine. Everybody thinks Andrew Barry's good at his job. I'd probably take Desmond King on the Browns. No, I don't know. I'll say this. I think the Greedy Williams situation has really handcuffed anything Barry wants to do in the secondary. It's the more you read about it, and there's not much to read about it, but it just paints a picture of just uncertainty, confusion. You do, you, 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 there's hope, and then there isn't, and you're dealing with nerves. It, it, it's, it's just a who knows type of situation. So, you know, adding a corner when you think you may be getting one back, it, it, I think that is handcuffed Barry in terms of adding at the cornerback spot would be my, my blind guess. What do you think, Scott? Should the Browns have traded a fifth rounder for King instead of the sixth rounder the Titans traded? I mean, it's not like he's a shutdown corner or anything. He's definitely better than what the Browns have if you're looking for someone who can play the run and, and tackle. At that point in the season, I think I, – I don't, I don't know that they really – I mean, who knows what they knew and they're beyond what they're telling us, but maybe they were hopeful that Grady Williams could make it back at that point, you know? Oh, well. Um, it's going to be a good game. I mean, it's not, Desmond King is not going to swing this game. Although, right, he did. What did he have? He had a turnover. Of, like, do you have a pick six or something a couple weeks ago? People were using on the Red Zone channel or something. I thought he did something. It's always one of those. It's like, oh, look at this. The guy, they just traded for the guy, and he made one play. One and then guy, yeah. yeah, and then guys like me are like, why didn't the Browns get him? And then it's like, okay, on the other 58 plays, he was not very good. It's like, yeah, but he had a highlight. Yep. That podcast hosts like highlights. So... <laughs> I don't mean to second guess. All right. That's a great breakdown of what this game is all about. We're going to come back after this break and give our final thoughts before we head into this matchup of two, eight, and three teams. Pretty exciting. We'll be back on Gotta Watch the Tape. All right. Doug Maurice, Ellis Williams, Scott Patsko. We're in the Orange and Brown Talk feed. Of course you're listening to Orange and Brown Talk. How can you not listen to it? The postgame pod is a hoot. Make sure you catch that after the game on Sunday. And then the rest of the week, again, in this feed, we're dropping seven podcasts a week. It's unbelievable. We'll wrap it up here. Scott, what's like your last little thing you'd like to leave the listeners with before we head into this big game Sunday? You know, this was almost my third reason that the 
the Browns could have trouble, but I, I ended up just saving it for this. And it's obviously if the Titans get out to a, a significant lead, like we saw with the Ravens and the Steelers, things could change, even though Kevin Stefanski has really been stubborn about, well, not stubborn, but he's, he's committed to the run and, and he won't just leave it behind, even if the Browns get behind. But I did want to point out some, uh, some score by quarters. Cause it's kind of interesting. We've mentioned before the Browns are, are still crushing it in the second quarter. They're outscoring opponents 106 to 67 in that quarter, but they're being outscored by 25, 14 and 21 points in the other three quarters. So second quarter is a big deal for the Browns probably be the same way. The Titans have outscored teams in the first half by 30. They've been outscored themselves by five in the second half. They too, like the Browns have had a lot of close games. Uh, I think Ellis mentioned that that Vikings game we brought up a couple of times, 31 30. Um, So it's very similar. I think that second quarter on Sunday is going to be big for the Browns and just the entire second half, if they can weather that and go into halftime with uh, a reasonable score, whether they're leading or it's close, I think that bodes well for the Browns. Alice, what you got? Yeah. Two things. First, Players to watch, under-the-radar players to watch in this matchup. A.J. Brown is the guy that has been making plays for the Titans in the passing game, the big plays, the explosive plays. Like Doug said, the podcast host that sees the highlight, the 50-yard run, and it's like, oh, my gosh, A.J. Brown. The player to watch in this matchup, I think, is going to be Corey Davis, the receiver opposite of A.J. Brown. We've talked in the in the in earlier in the uh, week on the show about the – Terrence Mitchell and the Browns options in the secondary, assuming AJ Brown gets the attention and the, the yards after the catch attention that Joe was going to put on him. Where's the single coverage going to be? It's going to be with Corey Davis. And that young man is an athlete. He's a playmaker, former, I believe uh, fifth overall pick. How do the Browns stop him? What's the matchup? And Ryan Tannehill has shown confidence in just throwing it up back shoulder jump ball for a guy like that. And he could just swing this game and be a guy Browns fans weren't really thinking about, but all of a sudden, you know, has a few critical catches on the other side. Again, not an under the radar player necessarily, but playing in the interior, the defensive line, it's what we already talked about, but I just want to double down on it for Browns fans. If you're watching the game Sunday and Derek Henry rips off a 12, 13 yard run, I challenge you to pause your TiVo and just track where Larry Ogunjobi and Sheldon Richardson are on that play. If they're three, four yards getting pushed back, it's going to be a long day. Sheldon Richardson, Larry Ogunjobi, they're going to be the difference in this game if the Browns are able to somewhat contain Derrick Henry. So watch out for Corey Davis on the outside, and this has got to be a grimy interior game for the Browns defensive line. My final thought is ignore everything you just heard on the first hour and five minutes of this podcast because they both can run it. They're both good. They balance each other out. We could have started with that. Both good. What else? Kidding. But I think that's possible. I think the I think it's like, okay, well, what did Derrick Henry do? Went nuts. All right. Well, what did Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt do? Went nuts. So then what determined the game? I wrote about this at Cleveland.com on Friday morning. Ryan Tannehill, when he took over as the starter last year for the Titans, he took over. He relieved Marcus Mariota in week six. Then his first five games as a starter, he was good. He was efficient. He had a PFF rating of 85, which in that window last year, in his first five starts in that chunk of the season, was seventh in the NFL. Then his last five games of last year, he raised his level and he had the highest PFF rating of any quarterback over the last five games of last year. Baker Mayfield this year, got benched in week six against the Steelers. His ribs hurt. It was going sideways. They just gave him a breather. He didn't get, you know, he sat out the last part of that game. 
Then Baker came back and has been, I think, a little bit of a different quarterback since then. He came back with the Cincinnati win. He's been better, been more efficient. His last five games, he's currently fifth in PFF rating. Efficient, not huge numbers, 202 yards a game. But Tannehill went from efficient, good, solid, to excellent in the last five games last year. If Baker Mayfield goes from good, efficient, solid, to excellent in the last five games of this year, that's the leap. That's not a newsflash, but that's the leap, and it would start this week. So I think it's very possible, and as you guys have mentioned at various times here, Ellis, at the point when I yelled at you when I said, don't say the thing about 327 passing yards for the Tennessee quarterback, because he's good. Tannehill is a winning, dangerous quarterback. He's not Patrick Mahomes, but this is not a one-dimensional Tennessee attack. That guy gets it done. It might have to come down. Baker Mayfield might have to outplay Ryan Tannehill, which is not asking Baker Mayfield to be Patrick Mahomes. But I think asking Baker Mayfield to outplay Ryan Tannehill in a game like this is exactly the kind of thing you should ask Baker Mayfield to do. So, of course, I just think it's possible the three big-time running backs in this game get theirs, and then which quarterback puts you over the top. And I think it is going to be Baker. I think this is the beginning of maybe a step up for Baker. I thought last week was good. I think this week might be better. And if it happens, I think Ryan Tannehill in a lot of ways has given you the formula. Of course, he's much older than Baker. He did it in the second sort of era of his career after coming over from Miami. But that's all. Baker does not have to be Russell Wilson. Just try to be an efficient, dangerous quarterback who plays off your run game. And maybe it starts Sunday. All right. That was fun. I like when I learn. I like what I learn. I think the good thing that accentuates this podcast is that I'm dumber than a lot of podcast hosts. And I think I'm dumber than almost everybody that listens to this. So I'm really able to bring out the good information you guys have because you have to work extra hard to teach it to me because I'm so dumb. And then if you can teach it to me, certainly the listeners get it. So I think we're really hitting our stride here. I think also we could go from got to watch the tape is a great name, but I'm also in favor of sort of like two smart guys and a dumb guy or some kind of that, you know, like that kind of vibe if we want to think about that. So we'll see. Yeah, Doug, sometimes me and Scott have to repeat our points two or three times to you, but by week 15, 16, 17, I, I think you'll be, you'll, you'll have this down and we can maybe move you from novice football mind to, beginner to flirting with intermediate I, I'm, I like always, the sound of that. I'm always like what's wide zone what does that mean that's a good play um all right that was good stuff i'm looking forward to it aren't you guys you guys are looking forward to sunday just to see what happens either this way is this is it from from the weather trilogy where we didn't learn much to a, a snoozer in jacksonville that actually ended up being a fun game this is what we've been building for so browns fans soak this in i hope you enjoyed listening and got a fun this week and then of course monday night football coming up this is a game where we don't know what's going to happen. You know, we, we had expectations, I think, for the past few weeks. Uh, but this one, I, I don't go into this with any expectations. I'm just, I'm not sure what's going to happen. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So yeah, we can, give you all, we can give you all this data. We can give you all this information. And that's the point. Exactly what Scott just said. We don't know because that's why they play the game. And when the stakes are this high, anything can happen on a Sunday. And we know Scott always does that spoiler alert post where he predicts what's going to happen in the game on Sunday. And there have been times this year when it feels like Scott Patsko can see the future. But this one's going to be harder, Scott, right? I mean, like you said, this one, some of these, it's like, all right, well, you predicted that, but you kind of knew that was going to happen. 
this is harder. The future is hazy right now. It's it's very hazy. I have to. It's, it's going to take some some work to get this spoiler alert done. Thanks to you guys for listening to Got to Watch the Tape. Great work from Ellis and Scott. Make sure you're catching the seven podcasts a week, and it's Got to Watch the Tape every Tuesday, every Friday. We'll catch you on the post game podcast. For now, for Ellis and Scott, I'm Doug. Thanks for diving in on Gotta Watch the Tape.